Hope you're doing well this morning. We are in week three of a series uh, that we have been in uh, called, that is entitled, What's Your Story? Uh, I love the words from Jesus um, in Matthew chapter five. Uh, he says this, or he's recorded saying this in Matthew chapter five, verse 15. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I want you to hear that again. You are the light of the world, a city Set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people that people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, he says, and it gives light to all in the house. You are the light of the world. And I don't know about you, um, but I've had a week. How many of you have had a week? Let's just kind of keep it at that. Just you know, please someone join me in here. Have you had a week? Okay. I got to be honest with you. Um, those weeks, uh, we don't really want to shine our light, do we? We don't really want to shine our light. And if we do, wow, it may not be that bright. It might just be like the batteries are running down on that light. You know what I'm saying? The bulb is going out. So I just want to pause and take a moment this morning and, and just kind of continue in the spirit of prayer that Cynthia started with us and just ask for God's Holy Spirit to be in this place. And during just these next few minutes, I don't normally begin this way, but I just felt impressed upon the Holy Spirit this morning to begin this way. And I just want to ask you, if you're here this morning and maybe you've had a week like I've had a week, and you say, man, I got some things that I need, just need to confess. I'm just going to give you a moment to do that. Some things you just want to give to God to lay at his feet. Maybe you're here today and you're um, not a Christ follower, maybe you're a skeptic or someone who is questioning the faith. Um, maybe you don't even really know God or you don't know what to say. Just my suggestion to you is just ask God to give you clarity, um, maybe on what you're searching for. And so if we, just, if we could just pause before we dive in this morning and ask for God to bless and guide our time this morning. Father God, thank you so much. As Cynthia brought us into the spirit of prayer, I just want to continue with that this morning. And you tell us, you command us, you instruct us to be the light of the world. And God, I pray for those who are in here today and uh, maybe the busyness of the last week or the franticness of the last week. God, or the disappointment of the last week or the pain of the last week or maybe even the sin of the last week has caused us to wonder if our light can really shine that bright. And God, this morning, before we dive into your word, before we learn from your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just um, seek us out, pierce our hearts, and as King David prayed, I pray that you would seek and find any evil way that's in us. And may we just over the next moment, just the next minute together, lay that at the foot of the cross and give that to you because you took it on the cross with you when you died on the cross just take a few moments just to talk to God privately in the best way that you know how this morning. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in this place. 
Lead us into wisdom and into knowledge and into understanding of your word for the purpose of equipping the saints for the ministry, God. I pray that you would do that today in this room. Despite what has happened over the last week, despite what's happened in the last couple days, despite what's happened in our lives, even this morning, Father God, I pray that you would be in control of this place and that you would be honored and that you would be glorified. Challenge us, Holy Spirit, to move to a place where we shine like the stars in the universe. And God, may our story impact others. Help us, challenge us to be able to put those pieces of the story together in a way that is compelling and interesting and truthful and honest and forthright and transparent. Guide us and direct us today. Guide our time this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I'm glad you're here today. We're in week three of this series. I'm really excited about this series. I, I know I've been challenged um, just in the study uh, of this series and, and preparing for it. And just as a way of review, if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, I just want to give you a way of review. Uh, we are in this series, and the whole purpose of this series is really to communicate the idea and to communicate the message um, that our stories can make a difference in the lives of those who may not yet know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so when we talk as the church, and, and pardon me for a moment because this message series is to those of you who are here today who are Christians, so um, if you're not yet a Christ follower or you are skeptical or whatever, um, just listen in today because there may be some things that, that I say or that God does in your life that will kind of direct you to him. Um, but this message today is, is really intended for those of you who are, are Christians. And for those of you who already have a spiritual story, and that's where we began in week one. We began with this idea that our spiritual story, you know, our God story, that thing that God has done with us, whether um, it was years ago or weeks ago or days ago, in terms of drawing us to who Jesus is, the Son of God who died for the sins of the world. That story is part of the good news, that word gospel. Whenever you see that in scripture, when you ever hear someone say it, it literally means good news. And in, so in week one, I challenged you all and I challenged myself that our story matters. And, and because we've been changed from the inside out, our story is the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You know what I mean by that? Like if God really is doing something in our lives, if he has done something significant with us, it is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the fact that kind of the theology, the background of evangelism, which is a big word, which it's kind of interesting, um, corporations are using this word now. Um, evangelism, and you'll understand why when I describe what it means, it literally means to speak with your mouth the good news. It means to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And you don't proclaim by saying, I proclaim. You say, I proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. You do it with your mouth and you do it audibly. And that's what God's intent was for those of you who are here who are Christ followers. You know, we can find our purpose and our vocation and we can find our spouses and we can have families and all of those things are so important. But the number one thing that God has called us to do in our 80 or 18 or 28 years of life. I don't know why I like the number eight, but I do. So, the, you know, if we're here for like a period of time on earth, our purpose is to share that good news with our mouths to other people. But let's face it, that's not quite as easy done as it is said, right? 
I mean, especially for those of you who are in here today who are introverts, right? You don't want to really share anything about your life, never mind spiritual things. And my prayer is, is that, you, that you would be able to kind of get little pieces of, of practical information about how even you can share your faith story or your spiritual story with other people. And so we began with the foundational idea that that's our role in the kingdom of God is to share with our mouths the message of Jesus Christ, our story of a changed life. Because you don't have to have this in-depth theological knowledge of all the Bible and everything in it, although that's really good and it's helpful and it's beneficial, but, but people will be compelled towards Christ because of your story. And so that's how we began. And last week, um, I was gone. Clint Trebesh was here. He is our uh, missionary with the Navigators at Georgia State University. And I listened to his message twice this week. And I don't know about you, he did an amazing job last week of communicating God's word. Don't you think, if you were here? He did an amazing, absolutely. Give him, he'll be listening to this. So give him a round of applause this morning. And I had a little note on my whiteboard um, last week. It said, thanks for skipping church so I could preach the word of God. That was awesome, wasn't it? I took my son to a soccer game, and we were driving back so that we could be here for a youth group last Sunday morning. And I so appreciate Clint um, teaching what it means to break the ice, because let's face it, 90% of the struggle with sharing our spiritual story is just like that introductory thing, isn't it? That's the hardest part sometimes, isn't it? It's just breaking the ice, and he did a fantastic job of communicating to us that there are some gaps that we can use practical things to cross, and I want to encourage you to go out and listen to those messages to be brought up to speed on where we are in this particular series. But today, I want to focus on this whole word preparation, and it's a good time to focus on preparation because students, this week and the following week, what happens? You start back school, right? Aren't you glad I reminded you of that today? All right, you start back school, school's beginning. Parents, you're like, yes, school's beginning. I love it. And students are like, oh, man, I don't want to go back. There's a lot of preparation that goes on this time of year, isn't there? I got a question for you. I want you to answer this honestly. And, um, you know, if you, if you can answer this in the affirmative, I just want you to raise your hand um, this morning. Um, how many of you watched this year's Super Bowl with the Denver Broncos against the Seattle Seahawks? How many of you watched the Super Bowl this year? Okay, raise your hands high. Raise them up high. Okay. All right, I would say probably about 50 to 60 to maybe 70% of everyone in here. I mean, 10 minutes or more, right? Yeah, okay, so about 70, let's say 70%. I mean, we, we gather around and we watch the Super Bowl and we, we, we make chili and chips and whatever and we, we have a good old time. How many of you have watched one minute of preseason NFL football this year? How many of you have watched one minute? Okay. Wow, you guys are, astu you just totally blew up my whole illustration here. <laughs> totally ruined. I completely bombed it because you guys must be like intense NFL people because you're like, 50% of you raised your hands. I'm totally shocked. Really? You guys watch preseason football? Really? Raise your hand again. I want to see you guys. I'm so impressed. Okay, anyway, forget that. My whole point is blown. You guys watch NFL football. I cannot believe it. I was watching the Atlanta Falcons the other day, and it was a pathetic game. It was awful. You know why? Because it's practice. It's practice. It's preseason. It's not even the game. I mean, it's worse than Canadian League football. Sorry if you're from Canada. It's terrible football. It's just terrible football in preseason because, you know, Matt Ryan for the Atlanta Falcons, who's a quarterback, he's getting paid $100 million, and he played like five minutes the other day. It's just practice. 
And this time of year for all these great NFL players, all it is is a time to prepare for the big show, isn't it? It's just time to prepare to lay the groundwork, and we don't like to prepare. But if we don't prepare to share our story, when we're faced with the opportunity to do it, we will fall flat on our faces if we don't prepare. And I can tell you this, and you can listen to great pastors and preachers tell you this, and you can be encouraged by a blog that you might see to prepare your spiritual story. But I want to go to the Word of God because the Word of God has a lot to say about this very specific thing. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be taking a look at several different passages today. If you don't have your Bibles, the the words will be on the screen. There are two passages that I want to look at to just kind of lay the foundation for what we can do to prepare our spiritual story. Take a look at point number one in your notes as we get started this morning. First of all, we've got to prepare to explain our faith decision to anyone at any time. Prepare to explain your faith decision to anyone at any time. It's not that I want you to do this. It's not that it's a good practice to do. It's not because the world needs people who are prepared. We should prepare because God's word, the inspired word of God, compels us to be prepared. Peter is speaking, is writing actually a letter to the Christians in the first century. It was about 60 AD, about 60 years um, really kind of after the beginning of that first century. And so this was in almost nearly ancient times. And he's writing to the Christians who, by the way, are being persecuted and about ready to be persecuted in remarkable ways. And so he's writing to them and he's encouraging them to stay strong in their faith. He's encouraging them to stay incredibly strong in their faith. And he says this in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being, what's that next word? Prepared to make a, what's that next word? Defense. Defense. He wants us to be prepared to make a defense. To anyone who asks you for a, what's that third word there? Reason. Reason. So the Holy Spirit has inspired this father, one of the fathers of the church, this man named Peter, to write an encouraging letter to the people of the first century church, encouraging them to stay strong in their faith. And he says that we need to be prepared, we need to be prepared to give a reason or a defense, excuse me, a defense to anyone who asks what the reason is for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I love this passage. I love this passage. Because he, he lays out so many different aspects of why we are supposed to prepare and how we are supposed to prepare and even how we're supposed to communicate the gospel message. Three words. I just want to take a look at three words. You might have some space to write down uh, some of this stuff. I want to look at prepare. Prepare means to be conditioned, or literally in the original language, it means to be already done. Already done. Already done. Uh, you, you know, sometimes people will ask us, hey, have you finished something? You know, maybe students, a teacher might ask you, you know, have you finished your project? 
and, and you, say, you say, yes, I finished my project, when in reality, you're not really done, right? You know? um, husbands, <laughs> let's talk for a minute. Your wives, have you taken out the trash? Yes, dear, I've taken out the trash. Well, it's in the corner of the room, and it's almost there, right, guys? Because that's what we do. We do things in stages, and we let it sit and get stinky, right? Okay, so I'm almost done. You see, this word in the original language means it is already done. So my question to you is, are you ready to tell someone about your faith decision? Are you fully prepared? Is it already done? Conditioned. Are you conditioned? Are you ready? Have you practiced? That word prepare means to be conditioned or already done. So Peter is encouraging us to have it down. Do you notice what he's not saying? He's not saying that we have to have a full knowledge of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not saying that we have to have a full knowledge of his word, although that is helpful and we should strive for that. He's not saying, listen, he's not saying that you have to have every answer ready. We'll talk about giving some answers next week when we're kind of in those crunch situations when we don't know what to say about a certain thing, when people try to trip us up about why we believe what we believe. He is saying that we need to be prepared, already done to give a defense. Here's the word defense. The speech of defending what you believe. The speech, again, we come back to this idea that explaining the gospel message is something that at the end of the day, we are compelled to do from scripture with our mouths. And so if you're a Christ follower in here, you speak the message of Jesus Christ. You prepare to speak, to give a defense. It literally means the act of speaking to defend your beliefs. And he says, be prepared, already done, to make a defense, the act of speaking why you believe what you believe to anyone who asks for a reason. The word reason means account. What Peter is saying here, don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is the point in this first, this first point. Peter is saying, when people ask what God has done in your life, be prepared to tell that story. And my fear is, is that Christ followers, my concern is, is that Christ followers were not prepared enough to tell the story. I know that I'm not. I'm not. I'm not prepared well enough to tell my story if I don't practice it, if I don't think about it, if I don't pray about it, if I don't talk to other people about it. We are to practice sharing our story and to be prepared to share our story. That's what Peter is encouraging, that first church that was persecuted. And listen, there's a huge difference. There's one difference between them and us. There's one difference between the audience back then and the audience now. Now, I realize there are a lot of cultural differences back then, but there's one massive difference here in the United States of America on Hilton Head Island in the low country, or wherever, if you're vacationing, wherever you live in Ohio, there's one major difference between them and us, them then and us now, and that is we are not being what? Persecuted. We're not being persecuted, are we? I mean, you may have a little thing rise up here and there where you're personally put on the defense. 
and you feel persecuted. Or you might have maybe a, a teacher in a classroom kind of deny you as maybe we saw in uh, the movie that we watched a few weeks ago, God's Not Dead. But generally, we aren't persecuted for believing what we believe. This culture, this church, this group of Christians was persecuted and Peter's, Peter is encouraging them to have a defense. More so, we should then have a defense, shouldn't we? See, I, I get concerned for the church in this modern day age of comfort and flexibility that, that we've become so cautious and so comfortable in our faith that we're not challenged to defend the gospel. You realize that in the world today, there are more people becoming Christ followers in regions and areas where they are being persecuted than anywhere else in the world. Do you realize that? I'm not asking God to persecute America at all and Christians in America. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we should take up the standard and we should rise up and we should be prepared and ready to give that defense when the time comes. The second thing that I want to point out today, it's in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Paul is speaking here to the church in Colossae. He says this, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Outsiders, those are people who don't know what Jesus did, who don't know the faith. He says, making the best use of, what's that last word? Say it with me. Time. Making the best use of time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Do you, do you get the theme that is kind of consistent in both of those? Both Peter and Paul are encouraging us to be able to defend our faith with humility and gentleness and kindness, seasoned with salt. That means that we actually know the truth but graciousness. They want us to communicate the message with speech that is attractive. We'll get to that in a moment to people so that you may know how to answer each person, Paul says. He is encouraging us here to be prepared for the time when the time comes. Paul, Peter's encouraging us to be prepared. Paul is encouraging us to not let the time go by when we have the opportunity to share our spiritual story. I don't know about you, but I have those moments when I let that opportunity slip away. Clint talked about it last week. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christ follower. It doesn't matter what title or position you may hold in your church or religious organization. Doing what we're talking about in these three weeks is dangerous. It's full of fear, and it takes a tremendous amount of courage. But that fact should not deter us from doing it, should it? It shouldn't deter us from doing it. And when we have the opportunity to communicate what God has done in our life, we ought to take it. Here's why. It may be the last time that that person or people ever, ever, ever have the opportunity to hear how God changed life. And eternity hangs in the balance. It's just not the direction of their life here on earth. 
but it's eternity that hangs in the balance for that person. And Paul here is saying, walking wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. How can we make the best use of time? We can be prepared with our story in a way that's compelling and attractive and truthful and authentic and that people understand truly what God's done in our life. Take a look at point number two. Position the pieces of your story together in the before, encounter, and after format. This is an exercise that I challenged some of you to do um, in week one, was to begin to prepare your story. And, and I've gotten a few email back from some of you saying, man, this has been a great exercise, beginning to prepare my story to, to be able to share. Well, here's an easy way to do it, and I want to look at a passage of Scripture where we see it done. It's not just that we say that it's done, but we watch it be done. I want to give you a little bit of background on this uh, particular passage here, because we're going to spend most of the rest of our time in this passage. It's towards the end of the book of Acts. Acts is the story of the first church. It's the story that Luke, the gospel writer of Luke, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke continues to write, and he writes the book of Acts, which describes how the church grew from the infancy that it was there in Acts 1 and 2. Jesus has died. He's gone to heaven with God. The Holy Spirit comes down on the church, and amazing things happen. The problem is, the problem is, is that as time went on, more and more people who were church leaders in that first century, that early church, as time went on, they began to be persecuted. And so the book of Acts kind of describes the story of these first Christ followers who had all the challenges and struggles. And one man in particular, a guy by the name of Paul, who wrote that passage that we just read from uh, Colossians, um, he was involved in a, a lot of different things. Uh, people were healed because of the work that he did. People were coming to know Christ because of the work that he did. And the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders of that day, the Sanhedrin and the, and the uh, Pharisees, rose up, and the, the high priests, they rose up against these new Christians because they were threatened by him, just like they were years earlier, or, or months earlier in some cases, with Jesus. And so they rose up against him, and because they were not in charge from a civil standpoint, remember this is during the time of the Roman Empire, they went to the Romans and they said, we need your help. These people that are speaking a different message than we are, they need to be behind bars, or they need to be killed, they need to be silenced, because they're threatening our way of life here in our region, in the Jewish region. And so Paul finds himself in front of the governor of the region, a man named King Agrippa. And King Agrippa challenges Paul to give a defense. And Paul says this, essentially, in the first few verses of Acts 26. He says, okay, I'm going to give a defense, but you better be patient. And I love that attitude because of what he's about ready to do. You see, hang on here. D don't miss this. King Agrippa was waiting for Paul to defend his position that he didn't need to be prosecuted further. He didn't need to be put in jail. Paul wanted to go to Rome and appeal to Caesar. And King Agrippa comes in and he, he wants to hear this story. And so he's waiting for this legal defense and here's what Paul says. He first of all, and this is piece number one, he explains who he was before Christ. That's the first thing that we ought to do when we are faced with an opportunity to tell someone about what Jesus has done in our lives. We ought to explain who we were before Christ. Look at what Paul says in Acts 26, 4 through 11. 
He says this, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. Verse five, they have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. One of the most strict religious groups in Jewish culture. And in verse six, he says, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. He links in what was going on in the first church with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those early patriarchs of the Jewish race. In verse 7, he says, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king, my own people. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. I myself was convinced. This is, this is where he talks about the before. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against him. Do you see what he's saying here? Paul is saying that I was the one that cast the deciding vote to put many Christians to death. This is who he was before his encounter with Jesus Christ. He was prolific in that day and age for being the one that made the tough decision to see Christ followers killed. It was his vote that caused them to be killed. Verse 11, and I punished them often in the synagogues. He wasn't just involved in it from a decision standpoint, but he himself was involved in it. I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This was the man who wrote most of the New Testament who's the guy that we wouldn't be here in this room if it weren't for. I mean, he was the one that was involved in the spread of the gospel all throughout the land in that first century. But before he met Christ, wow, he was not a good dude at all. He killed Christians, followers of the way. Who were you before you met Jesus? Who were you before you met Christ? Piece number two, explain your encounter with Jesus. Explain your encounter with Jesus. This is recorded, by the way, if you want to go see it in Acts chapter 9, where Saul, that was his old name, becomes Paul on the road to Damascus. And he sees a great light. Look what he says in verse 12. Skip down to verse 12. He says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and for those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He meets Jesus. 
But rise, Jesus says, and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you, look what his purpose is. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those things in which I appear to you, delivering from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Okay? This would have been shocking for a Jewish kid. To have this happen, this bright light, he becomes blinded as you read in, in Acts chapter 9. He falls to the ground, and Jesus says, you are going to be my messenger, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. That's incredibly, incredibly challenging for this man whose name was at the time Saul. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may return, so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. But Paul doesn't stop there. He explains who he was before Christ. He explains his encounter with Christ. But the most important thing is, is he explains who he was after Christ. Take a look at verses 19 through 23. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, that was Jews, in Jerusalem, that was Jews, and through all, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That's why he was arrested, because he was, re- he was performing deeds according to their repentance. And he goes on to explain what he did after he met Jesus. Listen, This is a dramatic story, and I realize that some of you are like me. You became a Christ follower at an early age, and you're not like Paul. You didn't have this terrible past. You didn't see a light on your way to Atlanta, you know, one day. You didn't then go and preach to a group of people that you have no connection with at all by the power of the Holy Spirit. I realize that your story may not be as dramatic as Paul's. Let me tell you something. There's nobody in history who has a story as dramatic as Paul's, right? I mean, he was, pro, he was a prolific Christian killer, and then he became the most prolific person who spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't matter, because each of you, each of you, whether you have a past like Paul, or something similar to Paul in some form or fashion, or whether you don't have a past like that, you still can put your story together in the before, the encounter, and the after format and be able to explain to someone who you were before you met Christ, how you came to faith in Christ, and who you are after you've met him. You see, that's the good news of God changing you, of the power of his son doing an amazing work in you. How many of you do puzzles as a family? How, how many of you, you know, like do puzzles? Like you spread out those thousands. You like the puzzles? Okay. My family, we did it once. I can remember one time and we got in a big fight. <laughs> and we weren't a family that fought that much. But the thing that I remember about puzzles is when my kids were, were younger than they are now, um, they would have puzzles and they would, you know, there'd be this big box and you'd open it up and there'd be like four pieces. <laughs> You're like, this isn't a puzzle. But for them, it was a puzzle, Right. For them to put it together took a lot of work. It took practice. It took time. They had to fit the pieces just right. Your story may be a puzzle. And for you, it may be hard to put that puzzle together. But if you don't do this, you'll never be able to 
have the opportunity when it arises. You'll never be able to enact on the opportunity when it arises. And so my challenge to you today is put the puzzle of your spiritual story together in that before, encounter, and after format. And it's one thing to put it together, but it's another thing to practice it. And that's the third point today. Practice your story in private so that you're ready to share it when the opportunity comes up. Be ready to share it. You can only do this if you practice it. I mean, we practice stuff in school, don't we? We have to give a report, we practice it. Uh, Men and women, if you have businesses or if you're in sales, you practice your sales speech. If you're going out for a job, um, you you have an elevator speech, like in a moment you can, you know, just give who you are and what you're looking for. We all have done things like this. But when it comes to eternity, we kind of miss it, don't we? I know I do. So I want to challenge us, me included, for us to find the pieces to our story and begin to put it together. Whether your story is like that thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle that caused the fight in my family, or whether it's the three- or four-piece puzzle that we used to do with our kids when they were young, find those pieces and begin to put them together. You know, our job in the kingdom of God is to share with our voices the message And we can put it together in a way that's truthful and attractive and compelling and transparent. We can do all the preparation in the work or in the world. But if we don't take the opportunity when it comes, we very well may may miss the opportunity to help someone find eternity. Make the most of every opportunity. I don't know about you, but there have been times when just like the guy we saw, I missed the opportunity. Let's not miss any more opportunities to share the story of what God has done in our life. There was a movie in 1989 that came out, Dead Poet Society. Robin Williams' character has a phrase that he says all the time. You probably know what it is, carpe diem, right? It means seize the day, but his interpretation, his application of that was to seize the day, seize the moment for personal gain. If you really look at the Latin, carpe diem means to seize a fruit at the ripest time possible. That's what we are supposed to be about when it comes to sharing our story with others. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you so much for the challenge that we have. And it's a big one for most of us, a huge challenge to share the story of what God is doing in our lives and what he has done, what you have done. And Father God, I pray that you would help us, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, God, would you help us to have the courage and the intentionality to put our story together in a way that's compelling, that's transparent, God, that makes an impact in people's lives. God, help us to prepare to tell our story when we're asked. Help us to prepare to explain why we made the decision that we made to follow you. And God, help me, help us as a church to have the boldness to be able to do it. Thank you, God, for the tools you gave us last week on being able to break the ice from Clint. Help us to put those tools into practice. And Father God, I pray that you would help us as people of yours, to never miss out on an opportunity to share what you've done in our lives. Help us, Father, to prepare 
And then help us, Father God, to be effective when we're given the opportunity to tell someone what you've done. Continue, Father God, to do a work in our lives and may we be compelled, even this week, even today, to sit down and to prepare our story just like Paul was ready when he faced King Agrippa. Help us to do that. Help us to be people who will share effectively the story of you working in our lives. God, I thank you so much for all that you're doing in the life of this church, in the life of our community, and I pray that you would continue to do amazing things in and through Hilton Head Island Community Church. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen.